All right, Genesis 19 is where we're at, light and dark. If there were ever a story that speaks to our youth situation today, it is the story of Lot. He is a guy that goes along to get along with Abraham. He sees that Abraham's blessed. He likes the blessing, but he's not really sure if he likes the commitment of the blessing. And they find themselves immersed in a culture that only accepts one way. It's their way, yet it's a distorted one. And that one happens to be an untethered boat without a sail being tossed in the storms of life. And it's getting dangerously closing, close to capsizing the boat. Sure, the storm is fun for a while, but soon it gets, becomes terrifying, and the end is near for Sodom and Gomorrah. Consequently, they're blown to and fro by the changes of the culture in, in our culture today. And they have strict rules that are vaguely defined and easily broken. How would you like that? Think about this. This is what we deal with, but mostly our youth. Okay, think about this. They have strict rules that are vaguely defined, so you have to follow the rules. But what are the rules? Well, you, you know the rules. You know the rules. You, you've been around long enough, you should know the rules. Oh, you just broke one of the rules. Well, where did I break the rules? They were never cleared yet. How dare you say, how dare you talk about my system like that? You just don't understand. Isn't that what we run into a lot today? Okay, it's a very, it's a trick. It's a trick by the devil. It's a trick by society to get their own way, um, and it's a dangerous one. So don't question the rules because then you become part of the problem. Oh, see, I knew it. You're one of those. One of those. Yeah, one who likes black and white, not so much the shades of gray. Yeah, I'm one of those. I am. So let's talk about black and white this morning. By God's grace, God calls us to stand firm in our faith in Christ Jesus so that we might produce good works in him. My question to you this morning after each point will be, where is the Lord calling you to take courage? Where is the Lord calling you to take courage at? So Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 16 it's a bit long of read this morning, but I felt it was important to read it all. Um, I really wanted to avoid the last third of the chapter, but the Lord said no. It's my word. I put it there for a reason, so I'm not going to avoid that one either, okay? And notice how we're walking right through the story in the Bible, in Genesis. We're not avoiding any subjects except for the genealogies. We did avoid them, Okay. Um, I'm not gonna, I don't know why so-and-so begot so-and-so. Someday I may know, and I will preach a sermon on that, um, but this isn't the time. But we get into a very controversial topic in today's society in Genesis chapter 19, okay? Um, let's read it. That evening, that evening, two angels came to the entrance of the city, Sodom. Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up and met them. When he welcomed them, he bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You, you may then get up early in the morning and be on your way. Oh, no, they replied. We'll just spend the night right out here in the city square. But Lot insisted, so they at last came home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. 
But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted a lot, Where are the men who came to, came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk with them, shutting the door behind them. Please, my brothers, he begged, do not do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you so you can do with them as you wish. Please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and are under my protection. Stand back, they yelled. And they yelled. This fellow, this one, came to town as an outsider, and now he is acting as our judge. We'll treat you far worse than the other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. So in the NL New Living Translation, it says this fellow. And I believe the King James, it says this one. What they're talking about is this one is a reference to the Lord. Okay? So that's interesting as well. For the two angels reached out and pulled... But the two angels reached out, and they pulled Lot into the house and bolted the door. And they blinded all the men, young and old who were at the door of the house. So they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city? They asked. Get them out of this place. Your sons-in-laws, your sons, your daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So the so Lot rushed out to his daughter's fiancés. Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here and get out right now, or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. These are the words of the Lord. The tale of two lifestyles. The tale of two lifestyles. What we have here. Lot's life is in chaos. But he doesn't really realize how bad it is until the angels call for the destruction of the city. In this story, we see Lot starting out correctly. He offers them by greeting them in the square. He offers them hospitality and when you live in, this, in that kind of culture, and it should be this way today, then you, when you invite someone, they are like one of your family. You protect them like one of their own. In fact, Lot insists they take up his offer. And so he's done a very good job. I think there's something different about these two men that he recognizes, and I think the men of the town recognize it as well. And they want they all want a part of it i think lot kind of wants it correctly and uh, the people of Sodom and gomorrah want to distort that goodness i believe lot had a good idea that these men were probably angels or representatives of the lord and he brings them into his house and then i say it like this way he plays church with them because you go and you get in your group of friends that go to church and I'm going to act like I'm someone who goes to church all the time. And he breaks unleavened bread, which is correct. That means they probably um, were doing something as a reference to the Lord. And he puts on a little bit of a show there for them. 
to see. And I think during this time, Lot is wakened up to what, how evil the town is. I mean, I think you can see it anyway, but um, he's like, this is the way it's supposed to be. There's a stark contrast between these two, the two angels and, and the lifestyle that they're living and the, and the people of the town. There's definitely a contrast between these two. And I think it, it starts to show that Lot has a sense of morality. Okay? And then... The unthinkable happens. His neighbors, maybe it's Stan, Dan, and the man, UL, you know. Man, that was a, I thought for sure that one had it. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, and maybe even the king of Sodom is himself, right? Who we see that Abraham doesn't really have a ton of respect for. I mean, he, has, he respects him as a king. But he didn't sacrifice in front of him. He sacrificed in front of Melchizedek. They come to Lot's door and it says, bring the men out. We want to have sex with him. We want to have sex with them. Wow. So talk about an awkward situation. Okay? It's an awkward situation because these are like all his friends, his neighbors, his, the people he's, he's doing life with, and they want to do this very wicked thing. And now I think it's so awkward that it would be like if someone would go down to the bar maybe and they find, some, find somebody's wife had come into the, the restaurant or the bar and they'd find them Saturday they find their man saddled up on another, with another woman at the bar, and it'd be like, uh, this is not acceptable, right? This is a stark contrast from where you are. You don't ever go to bar. You, you don't ever flirt with other women, and now here you are. This is wrong, okay? And so sometimes when we get into situations where the dark gets so dark that the light is bright even when it's dim that's when god shows up in mighty ways because that that starkness comes and we can see how bright christ can be you know i think about the story when when christ goes to um Caesarea philippi and he walks up there and there's a very pagan city he comes over the crest of the hill and he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. Well, why would he be able to see that in such a bright light? How could he see Messiah there? Well, because if you cross that hill, you see below you a city of sin, very similar to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Right? And so when you see that contrast there, the light with the darkness, it would be an amazing light indeed. So I think he's getting this sense of morality back. And now he feels a little bit awkward. He is a little embarrassed that he is even in this situation. And he's... And Lot starts to understand the gravity of the situation. He goes out to plead with the men not to 
do such a wicked thing. However, their conscience of the people, it was seared. They don't have a moral compass anymore. They have burnt it off and they've replaced it with scar tissue that they think is right and they think is just and they think it's fine because it's their standard and you can't tell them what to do. Even to the point where when Lot offers his two virgin daughters, they refuse it because they don't want that anymore. And it's dangerous and it's sad. And what we see there is that their lustful desires, they become so distorted in their thinking that these two virgin daughters weren't going to be enough to satisfy their lust. And this doesn't, this is another one of those things that um, they're un, he's under Lot's protection, but Lot knows. Lot knows they're not going to choose his daughters. And something's going to come out of this situation. And they're, they're all depraved in their mind, their body, and their souls. And you can see the spiral defined really well in Romans chapter 1. If you turn there, I'm just going to highlight it from verse 18 through 32 or so. I'm going to highlight the depravity that happens. In verse 18, it says they suppress the truth with their sickness. Okay, so they know it's wrong, but they suppress the truth. What do we see today happening in our culture? We see this truth being suppressed. Don't talk about that. Don't. Don't bring up Jesus. Don't talk about uh, right and wrong. How do you know what right and wrong is? Right? Verse 21. They know God, but they spit in his face. They know what's right and wrong, but they change it so you don't have the opportunity. They make it so vague that like, oh, yeah, that's right, but we're going to go this way because this is also right. Well, it's not 100% right, and now it's 80% right. Now it's 70% right. Now it's 50% right. Who's to say what is right and wrong? You do your thing, I'll do my thing. Guess what? You do your, you, I'll do me. That was the 90s, folks. We're way past that. That was 30 years ago. We are way past uh, truth and what truth stands for, and that's why... It can be very dangerous to stand up for the truth. Verse 24 says, God abandoned them to their wickedness. He's like, okay, if you don't want the truth, I'm just going to pull my hand back. I'm going to allow you to do your thing. This is what you want. I'm going to let you have it. And you'll get the consequences that go along with it. They degrade their bodies. They worship the created and not the creator. They pursue a standard that is not of the Lord to please their sexual desires. Right? What's that mean? They turn to homosexuality. And God says it's wrong. Right here in, in Romans chapter 1, it says it's wrong. In Genesis chapter 19, it says it's wrong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I want to say it's verse 12, but I'm not 100% sure. There's a whole grocery list of sins there. You can find them all. Homosexuality is one of them. Guess what? Sexual sin is wrong. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. Okay? None of that is acceptable. We first find that first slippery slope where we say, oh, it's okay. You know, I'm just going to, 
I'll sleep with her before I marry her. This is men's justification because we like to think with um, different areas of our body than our head. And so we are going to please our sexual desire and we're going to go, okay, it's okay. We justify it. It's okay. I'm going to I'm going to marry her anyway. And then our kids go, well, dad and mom were together for five years before they got married. Why do we even need marriage? I'm not even going to be with anybody steady. Then their kids say, I'm not even going to be steady for five to ten years. I'm just going to sleep around. Why do I even need a partner? I don't. I'm just going to do me. And then their kids say, well, I don't even know what love's supposed to look like anymore. And you get sexual abuse in there. You get many things that go along there. Your standards have changed. You don't know where you're at. And when you get affection from anybody, you will take it. And soon, homosexuality becomes the standard. That's the degradation. That's the fall right there. Okay? We have to get back. We have to unsear that conscience. The only way we can do that is through Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can give us a standard through his word. In verse 29, it says, Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malice behavior, and gossip. Look, it puts gossip right up there just as bad as homosexuality. All right? When we say, um, well, I was, I was concerned about so-and-so and things. That's good to be concerned. That's good to be praying about it. But we don't need to share your concern with everybody else in the room or four other people or even one other person, okay? And when somebody says, you need to, we need to be praying for so-and-so, you don't question them. You say, well, why, why, why? You just need to pray for them. All right. That's good. He'll, they'll tell you in your time, in their time. The conclusion of verse 31 and 32 reads like this. They refuse to, refuse to understand. They break their promises. So they know that they could know, understand the truth, but they refuse to understand. They refuse to look at the truth. They break their promises. They say, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. Sounds like an American politician. If I've ever seen the definition of American politician right here. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that, they, that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. How do they do that? They keep writing checks. They keep giving this. They keep giving empty promises. They keep saying it's going to get better. Right? Right? When we write checks today, it adds to our children's debt tomorrow, doesn't it? We can't. There's no such thing as free money. It's got to come from somewhere. There's a lot of things that are broken in this society. When we work on our own morals, when we work on our and let them degrade. It doesn't necessarily affect our generation, but it affects the generation that is to come, doesn't it? And that's dangerous. Okay? When we slide back, there's consequences for our kids and their kids. 
And they die because of their utter rebellion. All those things, you look at verse 31 and 32, those are acts of rebellion. I know the truth, but I choose not to go there. That is rebellion. You see that in King David. You see that in King Saul. You see that in King Solomon. You see that in Peter when he denies Christ three times. Praise God we have his grace to rescue out of our rebellion, right? Because we're no better. We can point fingers all day at American politicians, but I, do I understand sometimes that what I'm about to do is wrong, but I'm trying to justify it for the greater good? Guess what? The Bible says that's wrong too. Oh, dang it, right? We are right there with them. And if we don't set the standard for what is good, or if we lower our standard, now uh, an A become, is a 90 instead of a 93. Oh, that just, that just gets me. The kids can't get a 93, so we're going to lower the grading scale. I tell you what, that's just the funniest thing. That just means I just got to put less effort into it. That's what I just heard. Because I can get the 93, now I only have to get a 92. And that's just in case I bomb a test. That's how, I, that's how I went through college, right? That's, not the right? that's not the right way to do it, is it? We're always supposed to strive for excellence as a Christ follower. In the big picture, God does God care if we declare anything besides surrender to him? So think about it. If we say that white is now red, does God really care? No, it's still white to him. And he will make sure he gets it redefined back to white, how he wants it to be. Right? There's no shades of gray in, in God's word. There's no shades of gray in our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no shades of gray in our Heavenly Father. Not only did they break God's heart, they did it while flipping him the bird. Right? That's, that's what rebellion is. It's, I know I'm doing it wrong, and I'm going to turn around and give you the neener, 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 or however you want to say it. Oh, you laugh at that one. <laughs> right? But that's, that's what they're doing here. And it's sad. So how can we avoid falling into this lifestyle? Well, we got to know the standard. You study the standard. If you want to stay pure, if you want to stay holy, then you got to study the standard. And what is the standard? It's Jesus Christ. We need to study and find out about him in his word, right? Study his word. If you haven't read your Bible in a while, start in the Gospels. Remember the story of Jesus. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweet as it ever did heard. All right, that's an old hymn there. Second, pursue Godly friendships. Find godly men and women to do life with. Uh, study with your spouse. Read daily with them if you're able to. And then flee your own sin, our own sin nature that brings hurt, right? It may bring fun for a moment, but it's going to hurt us in, a, in the long run. If your relationship always ends and two hurt people. So if you're dating 
and you're dating and you get down to dating relationship and you, and you always ended two hurt people, you're hurt and they're hurt, you're not practicing for marriage, you're practicing for divorce, right? To be loved with a sacrificial love, you have to love sacrificially. If you want your spouse to serve you, then you have to serve your spouse. You can't do it just once. You can't do it just twice. You have to set the example of, of the standard of how you would like to be served. And then you serve them like that. Then they may just understand how to serve you. It doesn't hurt women to point out to us men how you've served us over the last month like that. <laughs> or year, or however long it may be, right? Century, right? So... It's okay a little bit, but we want to do that with gentleness, speaking the truth in love, right? We are fragile beings, us men. We have an, a an ego that might be as large as a mountain, but it's as fragile as an egg sometimes, right? Especially when you're involved because we are the most vulnerable to you. By God's grace, the Lord calls us to stand firm in our faith in Christ Jesus, so that we might produce good works for him. Where is the Lord calling you to take courage, to flee, to pursue, and to study? By the way, that's the, the 2 Timothy 2.22 uh, triangle again. Flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, love, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2.22. Genesis 19.17-29. It says, when Lot still hesitated, after he sees this, after he feels the footsteps on the door, he still hesitates. The angel sees his hands and the hands of his wife and two daughters, and they rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered them, run for your lives. Don't look back or stop or anywhere in the valley. Escape the mountains or you will be swept away. So they paused to argue, of course. Oh, Lord. Oh, no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life, and you have shown such kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster will catch up to me there, and I will soon die. See, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant you your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry, escape to it, for I cannot do, I can do nothing until you arrive there. This ex explains why the village is called Zahar, which means little place. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. The Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with every bit of vegetation, but Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain toward Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as the columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities in the plain. When sin 
has your heart. When sin has your heart, the destruction of all that you know is at your door. You pause at the threshold wondering if life is worth living without that sin in your life. When sin has your heart and you are leaving it behind with the command not to look back lest you be destroyed, you leave sluggishly. You say, the trip's too hard. The reward is not enough. You ask for concessions, and with them comes consequences. When sin has your heart, your whole family hears the destruction behind them, and knowing any pause on your journey would mean death, you pause and look back, and you're turned into a pillar of salt. When sin has your heart, you better pray to God that you have someone in your life that intercedes through prayer like Abraham did for Lot. I mentioned this last week, but I did not reference it. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 it says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is, none, no one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. We also know in Romans 3.23, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of glory, God's glorious standards. Folks, we've all looked back. We can all identify with Lot's wife because we've all looked back. We've all looked at our sins and say, man, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? We could all very well bend Lot's wife and turn to a pillar of salt. But there's hope. By the grace of God, Jesus Christ is that one interceding on our behalf to save us from this utter destruction. Praise God. While we were sinners, he knew our hearts. He knew our hearts wanted to turn back. He knew when our hearts turned away, even now. Yet he still died for us. He rescued us from our sins, the shame that holds us back. He allows us to come to him humbly and surrender. And he meets us right where we are in our humility. He gives us the authority to say, I am an adulterating lying thief who sacrifices his best to idols. And Jesus pursued me. He pursues you. And he pays for our debt on the cross. And I've been transformed. I'm never going back. I'm better than before. He has given me a new heart. He has transformed my mind. I want the world to know that I was a loser. But with Christ Jesus, I win. And you can win too. I was broken beyond repair, and Christ redeemed my brokenness with his blood. I thought... I surrendered to death in my sins, but I found that I surrendered to Christ and became alive. They exchanged the truth for a lie, it says in Romans chapter 1. One of the, the lies that this world has captivated our hearts, saying that Christ, I will die if I go to, if I become, go to church, if I become a Christian. I, will, I could never do that. 
And that's such a lie because in Christ we have a freedom to break every chain. Right? I'm alive in Christ and now I can truly pursue freedom. There are different ways to get to heaven according to this world. There are different ways. They all lead to heaven. It's a lie. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we follow that path, it is a path that requires us to have a set of rules, to have a set of standards. Right? We have to surrender to the Creator before we can meet the Creator. And friends, I got to ask you today, is that redemption story your story? Do you have a story like that? Are you willing to share that story? If it is, great. I want to know, who are you willing to share that with this week? When you get family together to watch football, what are you going to do at halftime? You know, I was just like you. I, I was in the throes of alcoholism. I was in the throes of whatever it may be lustful pleasures. I was here to satisfy myself. My pride was so big it popped. You know this. But Jesus Christ has come in and changed my life. And I live for him now. I was broken. I still am broken. But now I can see where I'm supposed to go. And I know where I'm going. Do you have a story like that? It took me like 30 seconds of a 20 minute halftime. Right? It's all it takes. You don't have to go any more than that, but you ask that question. If this is not your story, if you've never heard something like this, if you haven't experienced surrendering your life to Christ, I would encourage you not to take communion this morning because you're not ready. If you have not surrendered to the Lord, you do not want to take communion. Okay, That is one of the warnings he gives us. And please come talk to me after the service. And I can introduce you to a loving Savior who wants, and when you surrender, we'll take communion after the service. Cool? By God's grace, the Lord calls us to stand firm in our faith in Christ Jesus so that we might produce good works for him. Where is the Lord calling you to take courage? Now, the biggest argument that I see in the world for homosexuality is says, well, you let a lot of heterosexual people have sex outside of marriage and they come to church well guess what Genesis chapter 19 it condemns them both it condemns um, heterosexual sin in the worst way here verse 30 through 38 this is it's bad okay I'm just going to warn you it's, got, it's, got, it's a PG PG 14 on this one um, after, afterward, Lot left Zahar because he was afraid of all the people there, and he went to live in a cave in the mountains. Okay, So the concession was to stay at Zahar, but it was so bad, where did he end up anyway? In the mountains where God was going to send him in the first place. Sometimes we just need to trust and obey. And he, he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. One day the old, older daughter said to her sister, 
There are no men left anywhere in the area, so we can't get married like everyone else. And our father, he will soon be too old to have children. Come, let's get him drunk with wine and then we'll have sex with him the way we will preserve our family line through our father. So that night they got him drunk with wine. The older daughter went in and had intercourse with her father and he was unaware of her lying down and getting up again. The next morning, the, the older daughter said to the younger sister, I had sex with our father last night. Let's get him drunk with wine again tonight and you will go in and have sex with him. That way we'll preserve our family line through our father. So that night they got him drunk with wine again and the, the, old, the younger daughter went in and had intercourse with him. As before, he was unaware of her lying down and getting up again. As a result, both of Lot's daughter became pregnant by their own father. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab, and he became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Moabites, which Ruth was a Moabite, if you didn't know that. So ancestor of Jesus came through this ancestral uh, marriage, in a sense. When the younger sister gave birth to her son, her name became Ben-Ami, and he became the ancestor of the nation known as the Ammonites. Sin is contagious. Lot thought he could straddle the fence. He thought he could have one leg in the world, and he could live like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he thought he had, could have one leg in um, with what is God, what Abraham taught. And he could, he could be a light into that nation. I could, I could teach them so much. I could just do so much for them. That may be his justification. But what happened? It was a slow fade. And what do we see with Lot's daughters? They're quick to um, satisfy their sexual pleasures, and they justify it through, um, we don't. There's no men around here. They haven't even. They haven't probably waited a year. There's no men. What What are we gonna do? Oh man. I I would like to point my finger at them and say. But I, I've seen myself do the same thing, justify my sinful nature. It's just about the same way they're doing. It'll be okay. It's just this once. In the words of the casting crowns, and this from Lot to his daughter says, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. And it goes into the chorus. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade. When black and white turn to gray. I don't remember the, the rest right up. Not word for word. So let's look at the fade in the story. First, the daughters, they focus on themselves and their situation. There are no men around. Woe is me. They're desperate enough to have sex with their father. And they justify their their actions by saying, well, he's getting old. He's getting old. He's going along in the years. He, soon he won't be able to have... And there's, I'll give them a little bit of grace. Maybe they felt like the whole earth was destroyed. 
They thought everything was done. I don't know. I'll give them a little bit of grace there, but still. They have a just cause. And they say, well, we have to preserve our family line. We have to. How do we avoid this? How do we avoid the slow fade, this fade into sin like they did? We have to have a standard outside of ourselves. A standard that's bigger than us. The Bible is best. The love of Jesus is what points us to what's right. Don't allow your mind to be consumed by sin. Pray against it in Jesus' name. And I tell you what, it will illuminate what is the correct path to take. Just like those angels coming, stepping into the story, they woke Lot up to the wickedness that was around him. And finally, the third one, find a godly source of wisdom to channel into your home. It can start here at White Rose, but it needs to go home with you in the name of Jesus and with uh, his word. Get into your Bibles. By God's grace, the Lord calls us to stand firm in our faith in Christ Jesus so that we might produce good works with him. Where is the Lord calling you to take courage? Take courage, my friend. It is in the waiting a lot of times that we have to get through those things. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Lord, salvation is only found in you. And we rejoice that you allow us to come into Holy Communion uh, with you. Guide our hearts this week and as we go together. Um, Encourage us to come into community with you. And Lord, I pray that we'd be searching out those that you love uh, to allow them to know the gospel. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into a follower of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.